0: All right, welcome to the free stretch here on JoeBucksFan.com. Week 6 edition of the show. Throwback uniforms edition of the show. Bucks, Lions edition of the show. Here at Joe Bucks Fan, I'm Bobby Fenton getting ready for a big week 6 as the Buccaneers have a chance to go 4-1 and one against an already 4-1 and one team in the Detroit Lions who will visit on Sunday afternoon. Now afternoon slash evening as we got the flex job. From 1 o'clock to 425. I think it's fantastic, by the way. If you're going to the game, especially at 425 this time of year, it's not daylight saving time hasn't ended yet, but we're getting a little bit shorter days. And then you get the later kickoff, and it's a little bit cooler. And it should be real, real pleasant out there on Sunday. It'll start getting dark toward the end of the game. You start in the sunlight end and under the lights. I love the 4 o'clock kickoffs. And now 425, uh, you know, used to just be 1 and 4. But it's going to be a fun day. And of course, the uniforms. We're going to talk about that on the show today. But beyond all that, a pretty big football game. As the Bucs have a chance here, and they already did something I thought was extraordinary. I don't. I mean, extraordinary is probably a strong word. You're supposed to win football games. But I told you during the show last. Why well, we didn't do a show last week, but the week before, getting ready to head into the New Orleans game after that disappointing loss on Monday night against the Eagles said, hey, look, you know, you want to win them all, obviously. And it went over Philadelphia, it would have been huge. But if you told me going into that two-game stretch, Philadelphia and New Orleans, with the Bucks already 2-0, that they could split those two games, I would have taken that without even knowing anything else. But even beyond that, if you told me, okay, you also get to choose which one of the games you win and which one you don't, I would have chosen win the Saints game, not the Eagles game. Three and one, huge road win over what appears, and it's still early, but over what appears to be your biggest division rival, and a great effort at that. And we'll talk a little bit about it. It's you know two weeks in the review mirror now. We won't spend a ton of time on it, but just an awesome win by the Bucks to go into New Orleans like that and get that win. And I said this one, if they can get this one, you know those first two games were great. Uh, they beat Chicago soundly. Felt a little lucky to beat Minnesota, and then got beaten soundly even if the scoreboard didn't quite reflect it, by the Eagles. But that Saints game was kind of one of those crossroads games where you're like, okay, if we win this game, I'm going to feel like we're one possible thing, and if we don't, I'll feel like we're a different thing. And not only did they get it done, but they got it done in dominant fashion, especially defensively, although the offense did what it needed to do as well. And so now I'm seeing the Buccaneers in a whole different light the past couple of weeks. And it doesn't mean I automatically think they're a Super Bowl contender. I still don't but i was very very lukewarm on what this team could be during the offseason and during the preseason and for that matter even yeah like i couldn't believe they won the minnesota game and looking back at it now it actually doesn't seem that much less believable but i just didn't feel like the bucks were one of those teams but this year so far i'm trying to think of past seasons that give me this sort of vibe I don't think the Bucs are going to – I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We, we, I don't want to commit to anything. I'm getting 2005-ish vibes from this Bucks team. Remember 2005 Cadillac-Williams rookie year? In fact, they opened that year at Minnesota as well, and Williams went nuts. And that team ended up being a team that won – I think they did go 11-5, right? They were the 10-6 or 11-5, lost their opening playoff game to the Redskins here at Raymond James. But didn't feel like they were a huge favor to do anything that year going into it. And then they kind of just won a lot of close games. And they, you know, I, I told you this before. I'll keep saying it. I'll always say it. The line is so fine in the NFL. Okay. And right now, again, we've gotten four games played, right? One of them was a game that they clearly lost and should have lost. That was the Eagles game. Two more were games that they should have won and clearly did outplay the opponent in the Bears and the Saints. The fourth one, the difference between 2 and 2 and 3 and 1 right now came down to what? Turno- honestly, turnovers and turnover differential has killed the Vikings. The Bucks have a plus 5 turnover differential. Turnovers aren't completely random, but they're partially random. And I say all the time, I mean, the difference between now that there's 17 games, you know, 7 and 10, 10 and 7, and and 11-6, those teams, they're all the same, really. Honestly, they really are, except for a big call here, a big turnover there, a red zone conversion where you scored a touchdown instead of settling for a field goal, a red zone stop where you held someone to a field goal instead of them getting a touchdown. And those are things you do. I'm not saying those aren't things you do. I mean, I'm not trying to say it's all luck. I'm just saying the line is very fine. And the pendulum can swing both ways. And Minnesota's a really good example because, what were they last year, 13-4? and four? And nobody thought they were that good last year, right? They're like, eh, kind of an easy schedule, been winning close games. All the breaks have been going their way. Same team this year, and now they're in the doldrums. What are they, 1-4? Because regression to the mean has been taking place. It's not them. They're the same guys for the most part. I think Justin Jefferson's hurt, but, you know, it's not like the team got worse. But this stuff, football's a small sample size game. It ain't like baseball. Over 162 games, it'll all work itself out. Although now you're seeing the small sample size playoffs and what's happening, all these, two, the, the top four teams were combined like one in 10 now in the playoff. But, you know, small sample size games, like whether it's the baseball playoffs or all football games, they come down to this stuff. So that win in Minnesota was huge, and it's the reason we're sitting here with a completely different attitude right now. Yet, the game in Minnesota impressed the hell out of me. And I was also unimpressed with the Saints, especially offensively. So I don't want to take away anything from the Bucs, though. But this is a division, which now that we look at it, and caveat here is things change all the time in the NFL, and you know how long the season is. And right now we're sitting here talking. It's the, what, second week of October. This will seem like a million years ago by the time we get to, like, week 14 or December or whatever that is. So I, but just looking at what we've seen so far – this is a team that I want, I'll stop short of saying should win the division, although a lot of you might say it, but absolutely can. And if it does what they're capable of doing, what they're supposed to do, yes, then they should win it. And that doesn't mean they'll go 12-5 and five or anything, but I, I don't think it's going to take that. That Saints offense isn't, doesn't scare anybody. And Derek Carr doesn't scare anybody. Falcons and Panthers. Panthers are obviously not going anywhere, but even the Falcons, I think they could get a little better as the season goes on. And they might still be a threat, too. I wouldn't write them off yet. But that's why that win was so big. You've got that game against New Orleans in hand now. You've got them at home. At worst, you're going to split with them. You're not going to lose a head-to-head tiebreaker. If you beat them again, you've got the head-to-head tiebreaker. Although, if you beat them again, you probably wouldn't even need it. And, you know, those division games are big. If you can go 4-2, and 5-1 and one in the division and do what the Bucks have done already, you know, they should be in good shape. But it's a process. Now, if you win this game this weekend because the Lions are a team They've only got the one loss, a tight OT loss to Seattle, but went into Arrowhead on the Thursday night defending championship game that everybody always does in week one. The defending Super Bowl champions always open up at home, and they almost always win that game. Detroit went into Arrowhead, and they won that game. All right, done the same thing to the Packers at Lambeau Field in primetime. Jared Goff right now is playing really, really well for them. In fact, I think he's Pro Football Focus's top-graded quarterback through – five weeks of the season so far. They're playing well defensively. They got a good rushing attack. It's good. This is a good team. And it's a team other people around the league are taking notice in. And if the Bucks win this game on Sunday, which is now going to be broadcast to a wider audience, a lot more people are going to take notice. And it doesn't matter. I mean, that, this isn't college football where reputation does matter. It doesn't matter. It's all standings. It's all math. It doesn't matter what people actually think. But if the Bucks win this game, all of a sudden, you know, things are going to start to no, say blow up, but the Bucks are going to start to get noticed. And I'm not even sure I care about that. I care about them winning the game because literally winning the game is better. It would also give them a head-to-head tiebreaker over the Lions if it came down to that. Who knows, looking that far ahead. And it should be a really fun afternoon, evening for everybody involved just because one, it's a game between two good football teams. And two, obviously, we got the whole throwback thing going on. We'll talk about that in a minute. I want to talk about this uh, Bucks lions game, though, first. And just to set up, I'm recording this on Thursday midday, still waiting for the practice report from today, although I did see some Twitter posts that the Bucks, who do have an indoor facility, as you all probably know, were still practicing outside, and it was fine when they started out, and then this really violent line. Of wind and rain came through and it was like pouring sideways rain and they were out there like they were going through their stretches they ended up moving into the indoor facility but it took time and for a few minutes there they were out there in this rain and they loved it the players were going crazy having fun with it the media not so much especially the guys with cameras and things like that and any type of electrical devices so it was a little bit of a, a, a you know called a snafu to not have the weather report I guess and be in the indoor facility already but stuff like that's fun you've anybody who's ever been caught out in really hard rain and I don't mean like on your own when you're trying to like get to your car from a a big parking lot I mean when you're like doing something that's kind of work related whatever it is in this case practice and all of a sudden it starts pouring and it's like woo diversion you know everybody starts having fun turns you into a kid again so that happened today but to the point of practice Injury situation, Bucks are coming off a bye week. They're in pretty good shape because of that, and they needed the bye week this time of year, even though normally you don't want the bye week this time of year. The early one actually helped out this time, but as far as practice reports, everyone was full go except for, and Luke Gedecky even seemed full go, although he had been limited on Wednesday. He was normal today. Kalijah Kansi, Jamel Dean, Devin White, all normal full go. The big question mark right now is Mike Evans, and he didn't show up today out there, which he wasn't expected to. According to head coach Todd Bowles, tomorrow, which you may be listening to this on Friday, I'm recording on Thursday, so I'm saying tomorrow, but Friday is the big day. That's when they're going to see if he can really run. They're going to try and cut him loose a little bit, and we'll know more. They've been just letting him rest the hamstring up until then. So we really don't know, and even after Friday's practice, the Bucks may not say anything publicly. And we may not know anything until Sunday when the inactives come out. And either Evans will be active or inactive. And even if he's active at that point, you still don't know for sure if he's really going to factor or not or, or what the situation is there. But that's the big question mark. Otherwise, injury-wise, the Bucks are in pretty good shape as they get set to take the Lions on. Now, looking at the matchup, and it's always all about matchups. The Lions and Jared Goff, they've been playing really well. Jared Goff's been Throwing the ball down the field, and that's kind of where he's been eating. I last week he averaged like 15 and a half yards per attempt on downfield passes. But here's the thing with Goff he's been a very successful downfield quarterback. He's been successful when he has time in the pocket. In fact, against normal rushes, not blitzes, he's got 67% more of his. Yards per attempt on normal rush. Basically, his yards per attempt versus the blitz is only two thirds of what it is versus a standard rush. So that'll be something to watch this week because we know Todd Bowles, who's been doing a great job calling defenses in addition to just being the head coach, but we know he's good at dialing up blitzes at certain times. I don't need to hear any jokes about the Rams divisional playoff game in 2021. But You know this is a team that doesn't do as well, and this is a quarterback that doesn't do as well offensively against the blitz. The Bucks do have the highest—excuse me—the second highest blitz rate in the NFL at 52.1 percent. And again, they're going up a quarterback, going up against a quarterback in an offense in Jared Goff that has a large proportion of their success against standard rushes doesn't do as well against the blitz. Obviously, the Bucks pass rush in both blitzing and non-blitzing situations on Sunday, is going to be a big part of what determines who wins the football game. And to that end, it is comforting to see that Kalijah Kansey's back out there again. We should get our first full dose. Like all those three guys up front, you know, Kalijah Kansey, Vita Vea, obviously, and Logan Hall, by the way. Logan Hall, yeah, it may not seem like it, but he leads the Bucks guys up front in snap count. He's played more than anybody else up front. For the Bucks, Vitave, of course, we know they spell him every now and again, and Kalijah he has been hurt. So all three of those guys will be good to go out there in addition to what they can get off the edge, and we'll see how that goes. I'm interested to see I'm interested to see more on the on the uh, whole Diaby JTS thing, because it's kind of the point where we're all watching and JTS kind of looks like a Jag out there. Of course, I've talked about the acronym Just Another Guy, a JAG. I'm not saying he sucks. But he just kind of looks like a jag out there. Just another guy. And then Diaby gets in there, and you're like, oh, you notice him, right? Like, when you're watching the game. So, obviously, they've invested a lot more in JTS with the draft pick and everything like that that he came with, Uh, whereas Diaby isn't one of those guys. But it's also kind of where you're looking around at everybody else, you're like, you're all seeing the same thing I'm seeing, right? Like, it looks like Diaby's better. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that continues to develop. Shaq Barrett, of course, on the other side. And, of course, like I said, those three guys up front. And whatever blitzes they can come up with. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Todd Bowles dials up because that's going to be a big matchup. Uh, and it's not just their passing. In Detroit's run game, this is the part where it could be an issue and Detroit may try and keep it on the ground more. Detroit's got a top-five rushing attack. The Bucks' defense has been kind of bottom third in the NFL in rush defense. And they've got a couple of good backs there with Montgomery and, and Jameer Gibbs and everybody else that can do some damage, and they've got a good front. So that might be something to watch as well. When the Bucks have the ball, it's kind of the opposite thing as far as versus the Blitz. Baker Mayfield's yards per attempt versus the Blitz is two-thirds greater than his yards per attempt versus the standard rush. He thrives when you put pressure on him. Of course, we've seen how good he is at eluding sacks, but not just scrambling, just eluding and buying time and still making plays and occasionally running as well. So, he's going to want to see that, but then, of course, just like I was talking about when the Lions have the ball, it's the inverse when the Bucks have the ball. The Lions rarely blitz. They only blitz 13.8% of their snaps, so Baker Mayfield is going to have to do better in what, well, I would hope at least, is a clean pocket, not as many opportunities to simply beat a blitz, get the ball out into thinner coverage. He's going to have to pick apart a defense. In a normal setting, if the Lions are smart, of course, even when they don't have this matchup, they tend not to blitz, and I doubt they'll blitz much on Sunday, knowing Baker Mayfield and how he performs, both against and not against the blitz. So that's something to keep an eye on. Luke Gedeke, to his credit, has been playing a lot better. Hainsy's not been playing that well at center. Worse is worse. He's a stud. The guards have been fine, and Gedeke's been uh, above average, let's be fair, because we ripped him a little bit. Well, we ripped him a lot last year, But even in the preseason, we ripped him a little bit at first when we were just going off of the one preseason game. And then it was, okay, well, it wasn't as bad as we thought. Now that we've got a bigger sample size, he's been above average. Like, he has been above average. Of course, there's another person who's above average. That's Aiden Hutchinson, and that's who you'll have to stop. So I think that's a tough matchup for anybody, not just Luke Gedeke. But it's something to keep an eye on on Sunday. And the thing I'm looking at, just like always, and, you know, We've talked about this, but the Bucks are trying to do things not quite like the '90s, but it's kind of a throwback. Like it reminds me of the Trent Dilfer days a little bit. We're gonna try and win, you know, 23 to 10, 24-13, 19-13, something like like that's where the Bucks. That's how they're doing it. That's how they're not going to win, or at least they haven't shown they can win a game, and nobody cares how you win as long as you win, but they're not going to win a game 38-35 or or 42-31 or anything like that. That's not their deal. And they are insistent on working within the parameters that they've placed upon themselves that they believe are there for a reason. And it's been working, okay? But I still am looking, especially on first down, like I'm looking for more aggression on first down, the Bucks only have a 27.8% rush success rate on first down. That's 30th in the NFL out of 32 teams. So right now we've got an offense that both likes to run on first down more than most teams and is worse at doing it than almost all of the teams, all but two of them. And just to answer, if you're asking right now, what's rush success rate? That's defined as getting 10% of the yards you need or more. Or excuse me, no, 40% of the yards you need or more on first down. It, it varies by down, but on first down, for a running play, did you get four yards or more? If it's second and six, okay, that was successful. Second and seven or more, it wasn't. The Bucks again, only have a 27.8 rush success rate. They only get four yards or more, not even uh, three quarters of the time. And yet, they continue to want to bang their heads in the wall They insist this is – and it's not just – obviously you can point at the numbers and say, oh, well, it's not working. But they insist it's beyond that. In fact, Dave Canales this week said, quote, we are efficient in the pass game because we run on first down, end quote. I don't personally – again, I always say this whenever I criticize any type of X's and O's or coaching philosophy or anything. These guys have forgotten in the last 20 minutes more about football than I'll ever know in my entire life, admittedly, okay. I always say that to be very up front. With that said, I'll say the quote again. We are efficient in the pass game because we run on first down. End quote. I disagree. <laughs> you are, you're, you're succeeding in spite of that, but you could do more. I know they want to control the ball. I know they want to control the clock. Like I said, it feels like it's Trent Dilfer. It feels like it's Eric Tourette. Remember that name? That's what it feels like. It feels like Dungy Ball, man, in, in the 90s. And then, you know, those late 90s teams that won without really ever doing much, it feels like that offensively. And, uh, you know, the NFL has changed. Obviously, it's not exactly like that. The NFL is not the same. You couldn't do it exactly like that. But they're doing a modern day version of that is what it feels like. And they've only been emboldened by the success in the win-loss column. And hey, that is all that matters. I'm not complaining. They're three and one. I'm very happy with it, and they are too, and so should you be. But that doesn't mean I keep saying this over and over. We don't have to run the ball on first down and get two yards just to jerk ourselves off about how we're, we're running. We're going to run the football and all this macho old school football, and we we're going to. That's the, that's our identity. We're a tough team. We're going to run the ball. You're getting 2.5 yards a carry on first or whatever. I don't have to look at the exact number, but it's something like that. So, you know, you don't have to do it. You really don't. And, you know, I'm not saying we need to go air raid or anything here right out of the gate and make a complete. But just let, let's, start, let's start passing a little bit more in some of these situations. I'd love to see it. But they keep doing the way they've been doing it and it works for them fine. And this is where I go back to stats that regress and stats that you can rely on. There are certain stats that you can say well that stat is that way because we are good and this is how it is and that's not noise that's a signal. And then there's certain other stats that no matter who you are, how good you are or aren't, they're going to regress to the mean. I, mean. I could say regress positively or negatively. Bucks have been really good on third down conversions and that's making it seem like that's, you know, everything's fine, but that's not sustainable okay and the whole point I say all the time is not to be good on third down the whole point is to stay out of third down if you can you can get first downs on first down and second down and not even get to third down so the whole idea of third and manageable and the Bucks have done it so far I I hope they don't think that that's hey we're good we can get it third and seven we'll get it third and six we'll get yeah you know you'll get it sometimes but it doesn't have to be third and six man we could have just go down the field. Down, obviously, not knowing what Mike Evans' status is goes a long way in this, too. But that's what I'm looking for on Sunday, basically, in this matchup. It's a good Lions team. It's a good Bucks team. If the Bucs don't win, I'm not going to freak out or anything like that. I, I, like I said, that win in New Orleans was big. Like, that bought them a lot of credibility. Mathematically, it bought them a lot of capital in the actual standings, which is all that matters. And it's a situation where we're getting to three and one in the bye week. When I think almost all of us—be honest, even the ones that thought the Bucks were really good going into this year—what did you think their record was going to be in the week five bye? You thought it was going to be two and two, right? Maybe a few of the most positive—I'm not even sure if "positive" is the word. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's idealistic. But either way, maybe a few of you in that category thought three and one. But even I thought the Bucs could be good this year and still thought two and two would be fine at the pro. You know, I just didn't think they'd do this, what they've done. But that Minnesota game was the swing game. That's the one that it swung on. And they got that win. They got the Saints win as well. So here we go on Sunday. Bucks Lions in the orange uniforms. Give me an email if you want to say anything. It's bobbygameday@yahoo.com, bobbygameday at yahoo.com. B O B B Y G A M E D A Y. Gameday at yahoo.com. More easier to use, though, and more direct to me is Twitter. If you follow me at bobbygameday, You can tweet at me, you know, whatever you want, comments, cushion, discussion. I'm always there, too. So I want to talk a little bit about throwback week this week. It's – if you're on any social media at all, you've probably seen it. The Bucks have been pumping it up with the orange uniforms. They've been practicing in the helmets. And a few of the guys have worn the jerseys and things like that. And you've seen pictures and things. They're actually doing an ice cream. I think they're doing a free ice cream giveaway – because they're trying to do a creamsicle orange uh, with vanilla ice cream, like bars they're going to actually give away for free on Friday, I believe, just to help them pump that up a little bit. I think it's at the stadium, but I I, should have looked that up beforehand. I heard about that earlier. So they're they're getting into it. I think PDQ is doing an orange Fanta with vanilla ice cream. They're selling that with a souvenir cup. Greg Allman tweeted that out, the Bucs, NFC South beat writer for The Athletic on Twitter. He said they were doing that, so go check that out. Everybody's getting into it, you know. And I have to say, I always am a little bit, I don't want to say conflicted. I love it that they're doing this. But the hype around it upsets me a little bit. And here's what I mean by upsets me. Okay, I've told you before, I won't bore you again. I'm born and raised here in Tampa, born in 1980, was in my mother's womb when she climbed the stairs at the 1979 NFC Championship game. And, And so, I mean, I go all the way back to then... And I wasn't one of those kids that was my favorite team when I was eight was the 49ers because they were good. And I became a Bucks fan in my 20s, like a lot of people. I've been a Bucs fan from day one of my life on Tecmo Super Bowl on Nintendo. When I'd play, I'd always be the Bucs, even though they were the worst team on the game. And I'd go win the Super Bowl with them. And I would never, I, if I played with buddies, and I never had to do this because nobody else wanted them. But I would have fought for the Bucs and said, I will not play unless I'm the Bucs, had that ever come up. But most of my buddies were happy to be somebody else. But I was that kid. I wasn't one of those kids that came late to the party. And my my family they were huge Bucks So this is like they say in Goodfellas, this is real greaseball stuff. Like back to the old country for me. Okay. So this means a lot to me. And I remember back then, everybody making fun of the uniforms and the collars, and the Bucks were a laughing stock. And obviously a lot of that, in fact, all of it had to do with the Bucks' record on the field. And that's kind of what pissed me off, I think, the most is that I never, ever, ever... I'm a big uniform guy. I mean, You know if you listen to this show. I'm, I'm a huge uniform guy. I'm not one of those people that says, oh, I don't care what they wear, just win. Who cares? It's so dumb to talk about uniforms. No, no. I love talking about uniforms, and I am big into uniforms, but I'm a traditionalist, and I don't like when teams change things up or wear alternate helmets or change colors or logos. Or a, I don't like that, okay? If it had been up to me to this day... The Bucks never would have changed from those uniforms. I wish we were like the Packers or the Raiders or the Cowboys or the Chiefs, or, or these teams that you look at a, a picture of a game from 1965, and you look at a picture of a game today, and they're where youK even it's the same exact uniform. That's what I like, OK? Watching Monday Night Football this past week was the Packers and the Raiders. Gorgeous uniform matchup. The Raiders' home black and silver, to me, is one of the best uniforms in all of sports. Love the Packers' white jerseys, too. And I found a picture from the Super Bowl when they played in the Orange Bowl, like in the 60s, and it was the same exact uniform. Matt. That's the way it should be. These teams that change their uniforms every 8, 10 years or where we're going to try this, or we're going to update. Like, what does that mean? Like, it, uniforms aren't technology. There's nothing to update. Like, there's no modern versus old. There is only what looks good and what doesn't. So, the test of a good or a great uniform, what, above all else, even if it's ugly, honestly, above all else, what a uniform should be is iconic and recognizable. The sports bar test is a favorite of mine. If you're at a sports bar, if you're at Hooters or the Wing House or, you know, whatever place, and you're sitting at your table, and, you know, they got the TVs all over the place in there, and maybe there's one, like, 30 feet away up in the corner— and you can't read the letter. You can't see the score box. It's too far away. You can just kind of see, make out the field and the game. You should be able to see that TV from 30, 40 feet away without being able to see anything else and just based on the uniforms go, oh yeah, that's the Bucks. Oh yeah, that's Packers, Broncos. Oh yeah, just by the, That That's what a good uniform does. It's recognizable. And personally, I know I'm a little biased here, but even now, I mean... Just strictly looking at the aesthetics of the uniform, I think the Bucks orange uniforms, both of them, but especially the home orange jersey, white helmet, white pants, I think it's one of the most perfect uniforms ever created by mankind. It's so beautiful. And I'm struck by it even now, even the other day, not even the real thing. My son was playing Madden. I got home, I was out and I got home. My son was playing Madden and he was wearing the orange uniforms on Madden. You can do that on Madden. You can put them in whatever uniforms you want. And I stopped and I was, just, I was transfixed. It was so beautiful, just looking at them. And, and it's, you're, you'll see, especially if you're going to the game on Sunday, but even if it's just on TV, they're just so beautiful. And yet, nobody said that at the time. That pisses me off. And now, all of a sudden, everybody comes around now. Oh, are the, are, tickets to this game are more expensive just because of the uniforms. All right? And everybody's talking about it. Everybody's buying throwback merchandise. I'm going to – I actually have – a gym bag in my garage of all my literal and not throwback stuff that I bought a year ago. I'm talking about the actual stuff I had from the 90s. I still have it. And I'm probably going to wear that stuff. But nobody cared then. So all these Johnny come lately's now. It's all tr- see, it's all about trendiness and, and retro is in and all that stuff. And it was never about retro or modern to me. Those are beautiful uniforms. Number one. Number two, I don't like change to begin with. Now, what they change with what the Bucks wear currently today, right now, They're red and pewter, save for those stupid Nike disasters in the Jameis Winston era, those alarm clock deals. But what they wear right now, their regular red and pewter uniforms, are very good. And so that's, you know, helped a lot. Because if they had changed to something awful, that would have been worse. But, you know, those are very nice. And they've built, obviously, an identity in those winning two Super Bowls. And they've worn those now for longer than they wore the orange. But I still look at those and say new uniforms. Even though they're not new, they've, you know, they're... they're, (laughs) Thirty years old or whatever it is—not quite thirty years old. There, this is their twenty-sixties, and I think in them, and same as the stadium too. Like I still, oh RJS—that's that's the new stadium, even though it's been around for almost thirty years now. But the orange is the real uniform. The sombrero is the real stadium. This stuff now is still the new stuff in my head, and I'm old school like that. But I just—I really don't like when people associate uniforms with wins and losses. And, oh, that was such a horrible time. They had to change. No, they didn't. They could have stayed in the Orange and they would have been good in 1997, just like they got good in 1997 anyway. And they would have won the Super Bowl in 2002 in those uniforms if they had not changed. It's got nothing to do with it. So that's my main thing. There is only what looks good and what doesn't look good. It has nothing to do with eras. has nothing to do with modern or retro. has nothing to do with wins and losses, for sure. Every team should try and find the best look possible. And sometimes you got to try a couple times. So that's when change is okay. But sometimes, you know, whatever it is, once you find it, you should wear it through the generations, man. Your kids, your parents, you, your grandkids, and on and on and on. It doesn't have to be any different, all right? And so I take comfort. And that's why people say, oh, you're afraid of change. I'm not afraid of change in real life. I, get I deal with change all the time. But even if it wasn't my favorite team, like if the Raiders tomorrow said, oh, we're going to update our uniforms. We're working with Nike. They're coming up with something more modern. I'd completely flip my shit if that happened. Like, would com- I'm not a Raiders fan, but it matters. The, the aesthetic of the league matters to me. Look at the Redskins. I know they changed their name to the Commanders. That's fine. All they had to do, all they had to do was peel that Redskin logo off the helmet and put the W on there. Don't change anything else. Iconic, those home uniforms. They always wore the white home and road. That burgundy helmet, white jersey, burgundy pants, that striping. You know, the the, the Redskins uniforms that they wore for years and years. You know, Mark Rippen, Joe theisman Art Monk, that that era. All, all the way up until you know just recently. But no, what they do? They change to these just monstrosities. Look at the Titan. I don't want the Titan. I mean. I think the Oilers should be in Houston still. They should have done like what the Browns did and kept the colors and the name. They should have had to leave that in Houston. But look at what the Tennessee Titans are wearing. It's a goddamn atrocity. Like the, the, the dumbest people alive design that and think it looks good. And then look at the Houston Oilers' uniforms. That are, they're wearing them throwbacks, but like they're not being worn. Like those should be being worn in the NFL right now. It kills me that it's not. So maybe I care too much about uniforms, and maybe you think this is all ridiculous. But this stuff matters, and I'm not the only one because I can see the response it's been getting when they announced that they were doing it again after taking a few years off, and you'll see the response on Sunday because so there's going to be a good crowd there. Everybody's excited about it, and it's not just the uniforms. I mean, the Bucks are good. The Lions are good. This is a good game, and this is a big game, and it's going to be nice weather, and there's a lot of reasons to get excited, but that is definitely one of them, and I remember 2000, 2009, When they for the first time they ever did the throwbacks, they hadn't worn them since you know. They actually wore them in 1997, or 1996 was the last time before that. But I remember that game. Bucks were like one and eight. They played the Packers at home. It was Josh Freeman and company. You know Raheem Morris was the coach, and they were down like late, and they had like a two touchdown comeback in the fourth quarter. I was at the game with my mom and i and the game meant nothing like i said they were 1 and 8 so it's not like it, it was like a big game playoff wise but i remember watching that comeback and the way the field was painted with the times new roman tampa bay and buccaneers in the end zone and bucko bruce at the 50 and, and and they came back and won and i was overcome i was overcome with emotion and like i said it wasn't yeah it might sound silly but it made me think about being a little kid walking to the sombrero for my grandmother's house cuz she lived in uh, Plaza Terrace, right there behind the stadium, it made me think of all those days sitting on the porch with a radio because the Bucks were blacked out and listening to Mark Champion as the play-by-play guy in the '80s, and then Gene Deckerhoff, who became the play-by-play guy in the '90s. It made me think of all those days sneaking into the Sombrero when I went to Jesuit High School. Me and my buddy Drew would walk over there, and they didn't have any security back then. It was the gate was wide open. We'd walk in there and play football on the field. All that like came rushing, like you know they say, it all it all flashes in front of your eyes, like. Just watching a freaking regular season game with a 1-8 team in 29-09 with a coach that was eventually going to get fired and a quarterback who was eventually going to get flamed out. But, man, it got to me. It's going to get to you, too, if you go back as far as I do. And I love that. And I want my son to see it. I want to go to the game on Sunday not just to see the game, but I want my son to see those uniforms in person. And it won't mean the same thing to him as it does to me. But I just want him to see that little piece because that's, you know, those are my roots and therefore those are his roots. But all these Johnny-come-latelys that, you know, didn't give a crap back then and now they're all back on the on the orange band. And you, you notice I never say creamsicle because creamsicle used to be a derisive term and now everybody's embracing it. But it used to be a, a term, a, a pejorative to refer to those uniforms and those colors. And they were beautiful then, they're beautiful now, and, you know... Obviously, now that the rules have been changed, they should be able to do this once a year, every year. And if I made uh, a huge, like, Powerball score and I won, like, $4 billion, and I had enough money to buy the Bucks from the Glazers, and I did that, I'm not saying I would change back to them full-time, because... I don't know if too much has happened now that it's all you know said and done. And like I said, I like what they currently wear, but I would have a, a few meetings about it. I would think I'm not talking about throwback games. I'm saying I want to go back to this permanently, forever. And as long I, I would think about. I'm not saying I would do it. I'm just not <laughs> sure either way. But you know, uh, that's just me. And in fact, right now I'm wearing, a, not coincidentally, I'm wearing a cut off T-shirt. It's the T-shirt they gave away at that 2009 game with the orange shirts with Bucko Bruce. I still have it. Uh, I've ended up cutting the sleeves off after it got a little beat up, but it's still one of my around-the-house shirts, and I'm wearing it right now. I'll wear something else on Sunday. I might wear my... I don't think I have my polo shirt. I think it's got some stains, but I have a nice, beautiful orange Buck sweatshirt that was, again, an actual shirt from the 90s, not one I bought retro. And if I can squeeze into that, I might wear it. I don't know what the weather is. It should be a little cooler on Sunday, right? Uh, It doesn't matter. I think I might wear it no matter what. And... and (laughs) And it'll be fun. So that's my piece on the orange uniforms. I'm glad we get to have them for one game this year. I hope they keep doing it. And uh, the the logo, especially Bucko Bruce, I mean, one of the best sports logos of all time. And people would make fun of that too. And there was a lot of homophobia involved him. In Remember, oh, he's winking, he's effeminate, blah, blah, blah. He was sneering, man. He had a knife in his mouth. That's all it was. But man, the... the Some things stand the test of time and some things don't as well. The orange uniforms in Bucko Bruce didn't just stand the test of time. They've gotten better with time. I am glad, even though I kind of resent everybody being late to the party, I am glad that people are starting to realize it now. So with all that said, uh, if you're going to the game on Sunday, it should be quite a scene. There should be lots of orange all over the place. Go get your uh, free creamsicle, literal ice cream pop if you want to do that on Friday and everything else. And uh, we'll see where we go. And as far as home field advantage, I was just checking up on this. There was a Yahoo article about it. It's been going down for a few years now, although it kind of popped back up. In 2020, that was COVID, but home teams were below 500 in that year. They were 127, 128, and 1. We won't even count that, though. But before that, there had been a steady downward trend in home field advantage. 2021, it was 51.1%. Of the home teams won the games. 2022, it spiked up a little bit, but still only 56.7% of home teams won the games. This year, again, home teams are below 500. It's only a 76 game sample size through five weeks. We got a long way to go. But home teams are 36 and 40 right now in the NFL. And it's not just straight up against the spread. Uh, the row teams are covering at a 56% rate. Row teams are 41, 32, and 5. When it's a road favorite, they're 17-12-2. and That's 58.5%. And, you know, again, small sample size, but it's something worth keeping an eye on, not just as a betting trend, but when you're looking at things like the playoffs and things like that and how much of an advantage it really is and things like that. It's kind of been trending that way. And, you know, it's still been more... When the weather turns, you get things like Green Bay, you get things like Buffalo, Chicago... Those are bigger home field advantages when the weather is sub-freezing or even you know in the teens or single digits than it is when it's 70 degrees outside. It's not as big of an advantage. So we'll see about that, too. And then I would, I, I would like further study on this. I guess I could do this myself. How much of it can simply be attributed to a few teams? Like what if we were talking about this change in home field advantage just because the Chargers moved from San Diego to L.A.? The Raiders playing in basically the Rams, Chargers, and Raiders play home games, but they're not really home games. They're in climate controlled domes with crowds that usually are there to see the other team more than them. And we know a little bit about that here in Tampa Bay, obviously, through the years, but it's much more pronounced in, you know, especially like the Chargers. Nobody in Los Angeles cares about them really. But there's still big crowds at their games. It's mostly the opponent. Vegas is a destination for a million people that want to go to Vegas and say, hey, let's go to a road game for our team this year. Which one? Oh, Vegas. And there's a million fans from the other team there. Those are very neutral crowds, if not even slanted a little bit more toward the other team. So I wonder how much of it is just those three teams, if that's skewing the numbers at all. Further research is required, but for now, we'll just something to keep an eye on it. And the Bucks are the home team this weekend. They are one and one at home as opposed to two and zero on the road. We'll see what they can get done against the Leos. It'll be Bucks Lions Sunday, 425. Beautiful day. Go to the game if you have a chance. See the throwback uniforms in person. But if not, should be a great, especially with the later kickoff. Cook out. Have friends over. Set the TV up outside on the back porch. Or if you have a pool, do it by the pool or just watch in the living room, get family, friends, whoever you like spending time with. It's always a good opportunity to do that. But either way, whatever happens, hopefully next week we are talking about a 4-1 football team. Thank you for listening today. And thanks to the Joes at joebucksfan.com, the single best place for Bucks coverage anywhere, for giving me the platform. I always appreciate it. And most of all, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week. Hopefully we're talking about a 4-1 football team. But until then... Wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, good night, and go Bucks.